the only sort of reliable and universal form of strategy which is going to enable those wins for a business is simply to answer the question of, okay, how do we sell something that number one, people want, but number two, people can't get elsewhere? It's just that. Now, when you think about it, it's super easy to do half of that equation. Every single business out there is doing one half of that equation. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Alex Smith. Alex is the author of No Bullshit Strategy. He's an advisor to CEOs and founders. He set up his business, Basic Arts, in 2016 because he found it fascinating that most people didn't know how to do strategy. He thinks strategy should be fun. It should be quick. He's on a mission to help you understand what you can be the best in the world at. He has a model based on creating value. You have to know who you're trying to create value for, but if you can do that you should be able to create a remarkable business that is great fun to run and insanely profitable. So let's get on and listen to Alex explain how we can all do this and how we can all craft a killer strategy and have more fun. Great conversation. I'm sure you'll love it. Hi, I'm Alex Smith and uh, I'm a, well, I guess the reductive way of saying it would be I'm a strategy consultant, but Recently, I've been having a lot of success with sort of content around strategy, educating people around what strategy is, and making it what ultimately is really a pretty simple, amateurish discipline be <laughs> like that, because that is the way it should be. You know, I mean, God knows where all of the technicality, the qualifications, the MBAs, the frameworks, the 500 slide decks came from because it really is ultimately a game of just taking punts and seeing what happens. So I've been doing a lot of education and content around that on LinkedIn, through my book, through my newsletter, and trying to get people who are not, you know, necessarily going to spend their whole life reading strategy textbooks to have the confidence to go ahead and uh, have a go. And I think something we could talk about maybe, but when you think about it, the greatest sort of strategists in the world, Steve Jobs or whoever, people like that, they were amateurs. They weren't people who did strategy for a living. So there's no real reason why it should be this rarefied discipline that for some reason it seems to have become. I guess, hence why the inspiration of the book that you've written, No Bullshit Strategy, which is codifying how you feel about this and trying to make it easy, that it's just not complicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the subtitle for that is... Um, 
a founder's guide to crafting a strategy that actually works. And in a sense, the clues in the title that, look, if the real people out there who are responsible for strategy are not people with the term strategy in their job title, they are principally founders and CEOs. And the thing about being a founder and CEO is that you've actually got a lot of other responsibilities other than strategy. So it might take up, I don't know, 10%, let's say, of your headspace. So you need to have a sort of dirty, effective, shortcut, principles-based way of thinking about it so that you can kind of make effective decisions and plot an effective route through the market. So what I was trying to do with the book was give people that. Like it's 138 pages long. You can pretty much read it in a sitting. And ideally, you read it and you come out the other side and say, ah, right, okay, I get it. So now let's go and do such and such, which ultimately is the way that strategy really is done at the higher echelons of business. It's not done by teams of analysts sitting in a boardroom for 12 months coming up with something clever. It's actually done by a chief exec shooting the shit on his yacht or in a bar or something, and then and then saying to his sort of uh, drones, now this is my decision, go justify it for me. I'm sure that everyone pretty much has seen Succession. And I think Succession, it's such a brilliant demonstration of what strategy actually is. Because what you have is these guys just on their jet or by the pool, just making decisions. And then those decisions, they filter down to the sort of technical people in the business who are expected to somehow sort of fall in with them. That's the reverse of how people think it happens. People think that like the thinking starts with the technical people in a sense. It starts with the analytics. It starts with the data. And then that is the thing making the decision. But actually it's, um, it's intuition first, analysis second, right? It's intuition is making the decisions, analysis is backing them up and sort of justifying them. It's, it's not the other way around. So once you sort of get comfortable with the fact that that is actually the way that the best people do it, that's the way that it should be done, I think it then becomes a lot more sort of uh, friendly and accessible. You know what I mean? And, well, and, and Steve Blank, the sort of founder of the lean startup movement, you know, he's got a phrase, get out of the bloody office. If you don't have any intuition, it's because you're not spending you're not spending enough time with customers. You don't understand what it is that they need you to do, that they're going to pay you money for, that you can be the best in the world at. If you start with a technology, you're trying to sell a widget that nobody wants to buy, that nobody understands why they need it, and that's just I meet people all the time in that position, and that's really hard, really hard. If the product's amazing, it's just nobody's buying it. That's because maybe nobody wants it or ever needs it or you're trying to solve a problem that only you see. Your intuition was wrong. You didn't do enough analysis. Or when you took it to market, you ignored the feedback. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just classic patterns that you see that you see again and again. And actually, that's one of the things that I like about the discipline is that every business is the same. Every business is following the same patterns. It's the same the same mistake, the same things go right and the same things go wrong in every business, in every field ever. So sort of once you've done it once, you've done it a million times. And the whole concept of domain specificity is just nothing. It's, it's, it's a nonsense because it's just, it's just the same dance. And it, it's funny what you say about the get out of the office because I have this 
completely unprovable theory that I think that the quality of strategic thinking in an organization is directly correlated with not just how much you get out of the office, but more specifically, how much time does the senior team, the decision makers, spend together away from the office? So for example, are they friends? Do they go for drinks together? Do they even go on holiday together? Do they have dinners together? Because all of the real work, the real strategic work that is, is happening in those moments. Now, if you and your co-founder or whatever are only spending time together in the office, in meetings, in that kind of sort of task-based environment, there's no latency in that relationship where it, where the strategy can happen. This might be complete bollocks, but that's that, that's kind of my theory anyway. Look, we were saying before we were recording, when I'm working with clients, we're bringing the executive team down to the farm. And often part of that is is making sure that there's alignment and you know what's what's the strategy? Have we got the right strategy? And I'm often struck by how few of the executive teams come down and they you say you know do you have you talked to a customer in the last week? The marketing person never talks to customers. How could you be creating any type of campaign if you have no empathy for the problem that the customer has and you can see it from the customer's perspective? HR leader often never talks to customers. How can you be attracting people to our business if our business is to solve a challenge that our customers have? And again, you don't know the wording. You don't. You yourself have no empathy for the challenge. It's just contrast that with some businesses where they're all in and, and actually the things that you say are all true, that they do get on. There's a, there's a definite buzz in the room because they like each other. They're constantly interrupting each other building on each other's ideas, don't have a problem challenging each other. You know, that you've got to, there's a level of trust and like, it's really hard to fall out well with somebody you don't like. Do you know what I mean? It, it goes it goes off the right, like conflict with somebody you don't like goes off the rails really quickly. And so I think you're right, that, that you know, that likability thing can lead to really good discussions and heated debates which then thrash out what the strategy is going to be. Yeah, yeah, you've actually taken that on to another level that I hadn't thought about, and I really like that. Yeah, it's really a really good point. You've just given me next week's newsletter, so I'll just like I'll, <laughs> I'll write that one up. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Excellent. So we were chatting before, and one of the things that I hadn't thought about is that you know you were saying you know I, tip, I, I typically am working with teams. You're typically working one to one with the CEO. So. I'm just intrigued to, you know, how, how does your process work? How do, you, how do you help people on a journey? Or even maybe we start before that and say, what types of people are you helping and solve what types of problems? Starting from the top, and also this is sort of defining strategy in a way, like generally speaking, always, I'm working with either a founder or a chief executive, and you're obviously devising a strategy for the business. Now, the first part of that is to know actually, well, what does that mean? What actually is a strategy for a business and what are you looking for? So once you know what you're looking for, then obviously the process becomes quite easy. And I think perhaps that's the main thing that really holds people back in this game is that they don't know what the thing is that they're trying to create. Now, the truth is, is that like, theoretically, a business's strategy is literally anything that it can do which is going to give it competitive advantage and therefore enable it to grow and increase its profits in the market. And so clearly, in principle, 
there's an unlimited variety of things that that could be. And that's what makes it so hard. That doesn't really help you. You know, it's almost a little bit like the brief that people have when they're coming up with a strategy. It's a bit like, okay, just come up with a really good idea. And you're like, oh, cheers for that. Like, you know what? I don't know any more than I did when I begun. I like to narrow it down a bit because although in theory, there is a million different sort of shapes of strategy that there could be, 95 times out of 100, it's actually the same thing. There's only really one. And so, it, and so we shouldn't let the sort of exceptions clutter our thinking. And really, the only sort of reliable and universal form of strategy which is going to enable those wins for a business is simply to answer the question of, okay, how do we sell something that number one, people want, but number two, people can't get elsewhere? It's just that. They want and they can't get elsewhere. Now, when you think about it, it's super easy to do half of that equation. Every single business out there is doing one half of that equation. Either they're selling something that people want, and it's like it's unambiguous that it's a thing that people are shopping for and that people desire. But the problem is that they can get that from loads of other places. So therefore, they're essentially in a sort of commodified thing, and they're in a battle with all of those other competitors where people can get the same thing from. On the flip side, there are businesses out there who do, particularly I think in the tech space, this is actually quite common, more, more common than in other spaces, where they do something super unique and they can genuinely say, we are the only, we're the only place that you can get this thing from, but that thing is not something that actually has a big market size or that people want or that people know that they want. So 95% of businesses, you can put in one, of, one or two of those buckets. The strategic business is the business that has ticked both boxes where they could say, we're selling something that people want and they can't get it elsewhere. And it doesn't take a genius to realize that if you're in that situation, then running the business becomes a complete piece of piss and making profit <laughs> and making sales becomes a piece of piss because you just charge what you want and the people who want it will pay it because they don't have any other option. And that, and that is strategy. So, you know, we can boil that down to just the phrase unique value, essentially value the thing that people want, unique, them not being able to get it from elsewhere. So the question you're asking with every business is, okay, well, what is the unique value that this business is bringing to the market? And if you absolutely nail the answer to that question, and then you lay out the practical steps by which they can deliver it, so that's the, the implementation side of the game, then you have your strategy, you have your implementation, you go out there and do the implementation, and then you, in theory, you become the business that does that. You become a quote-unquote strategic business. And therefore, you become a business which suddenly is making lots and lots of profit. So we can all look, we can all think in our heads of you know, classic, famous, strategic businesses. Ikea, Patagonia, Apple, whatever, right? So all these businesses that we look at as the, the ultimate sort of case studies of what good looks like, all they are essentially is businesses that have a strategy, businesses that have answered this riddle that we're talking about. So, so this is the riddle ultimately that I'm trying to um, help founders, chief executives answer for their company. It doesn't in a way, it almost doesn't matter what their quote unquote problem is, because no matter what the problem is, the solution is always the same. If they're not getting enough leads, it, the solution is the same. 
If their profit margin is being squeezed, the solution is the same. If they're getting undercut by competitors, the solution is the same. If their growth is stagnating, the solution is the same. Because all of those problems are just different manifestations of the core strategic issue. And so that's why, you know, strategy is kind of at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, because like once you get that thing at the very top of the organization sorted, then like magic, all of these more sort of like tactical problems that you've been having, they suddenly just melt away. And the reason isn't, isn't, isn't complicated, is it? Well, I was going to say, do they melt away? Or it gives you, instead of them being intractable, at least now you have a, it's like, oh, now I understand how we can fix it. Yes, as opposed yeah, to that's, that's, that's we, probably more accurate. Because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of work to do. And, and also it's a continuum, isn't it, right? Because I was, as you were talking, a couple of things came to mind. I was thinking, Alan Weiss, who's written a load of books about consulting and, and stuff, he, he tells a story about where he was pitching to Mercedes-Benz. And the CEO at Mercedes-Benz said, Alan, what do you know about cars? And Alan said, I don't know anything about cars. He said, but I suspect as a car business, you'd have enough people here who know enough about cars for whatever I know about cars to be really irrelevant. And, you know, and it's like that, you know, you're saying the same thing about strategy. You know, you know about your business. There's a process that you could follow. But then I'm thinking... As you were talking, I was thinking about a brand that I saw recently and I was, I subscribed to their newsletter and they, it popped up this morning and it's sustainable, traceable alpaca wool made into outdoor clothing. You can't buy it from anybody else. But the thing is that it solves the same problem as something else. It doesn't quite, it's not quite unique enough. And so that's one of the other things that people get confused about. On, on the what makes us unique, they say, it's our people. And you go, nobody goes to market saying our people are shit. They hate customers. Well, maybe Ryanair do. But, um, you know, they, nobody, <laughs> right? nobody says our people aren't very good. Nobody even says our people are mediocre. Even when they are, they say they're amazing. It's our biggest asset. And, and here you, people are going, you know, I mean, I suppose for people who want traceable alpaca clothing, these people are the only, but that's, I'm not sure anybody does want that. The idea of, I mean, it's lightweight and it is high performance. So there's, there is a uniqueness there, but it's solving the same problem as a fleece or a jumper or just putting on an extra layer or something. And so you, you have, they're, they're sort of defining the problem in a way. You've touched on a very important, very, very subtle point there. And you're right. This is where a hell of a lot of companies come unstuck because they will say something like, oh, well, look, yeah, but we are the only alpaca one sort of thing. You've got to think back to the concept of unique value, emphasis on the word value. Being made of alpaca is not a value. There is no inherent value in being alpaca. That's just like a sort of random arbitrary fact. So the, the question they need to ask is, what is the value of in this case, alpaca. Now, then you might say, oh, well, I don't know, it's really warm. And you're like, oh, so, so you're saying that you make warm coats. Well, you know, join join the club. So so that that is kind of like the where it where it starts to collapse. And yeah, because it's like, and that's also where that sometimes, you know, I talk to people and they say something like, oh, so you're 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 kind of talking about USP. And I'm like, no, because USP is something like we're the only one made out of alpaca. It's a sort of like, it's a fact which might be unique but it's divorced from value that the market and the consumer they are reading things in terms of value but a lot of businesses are speaking in terms of 
characteristics or features. So there's a disconnect. You know, you're, you're, you're not speaking the same language. So that's why when you look at, you know, really strategic brand like, I mean, Patagonia or whatever, like the customer and the business, they're speaking the same language. And yes, they might mention that they stuff a jacket with alpaca fur in the sort of detail, like four or five clicks down the hierarchy, but they aren't under any illusions that people are going to buy because of that fact. Often the brands that people use are B2C because everybody knows who they are. And then when people are in a B2B space, like thinking about how you take that learning and apply it in your business, because in lots of B2B, it is just a list of features. You know, what are Tesla selling? You know, they're selling a sense of smugness Right, which is quite intangible, right? But what they're not saying is they're not telling you who makes their tires because most people I talk to, unless they're sort of car nerds, actually have no idea what brand of tires are on their car. But if you look at sort of B2B tech marketing, it's like tires by Michelin. It's like that's, nobody's going to buy your car because somebody else makes your tires. You know, you need to have that sort of overriding sense of smugness that a Tesla owner has. Except for the people who are buying them now who turn up at the farm with an overarch, overriding sense of fear that they're not going to be able to get home. Yeah, that does seem to have uh, emerged a bit. They bought an electric car, but they've never had one before because it was part of their corporate, you know, corporate tax benefit program. And now they're just, everywhere they go, they're just terrified they're going to run out of juice, particularly on a cold day. Well, it's funny with Tesla actually is worth dwelling on because Tesla, so now they've sort of migrated away from this and not necessarily in a way that's been, well, it's sort of, let's say the jury's out. We'll see, we'll see what, we'll see how it goes. I wouldn't sort of write them off, so to speak, but the initial Tesla strategy is, as far as I'm concerned, it is the textbook strategy, real life example of strategic perfection. And part of the reason for that is that one of the issues with a lot of these famous brands that people talk about, like you see the, the case studies, the B2C ones, is that we can, in, we can infer what their strategy is just by looking at them. But in the case of Tesla, what is unique is that Elon Musk wrote a blog post back in like 2006 or whatever it was, that was literally like, this is Tesla's strategy. And it's like 300 words, or something like that. And it's the whole thing. And it's just, it's just perfection. And when you can sit, when you compare it to like, you know, a, a big complicated deck or something like that, it shows you the gap between how things are and how things should be. So essentially the strategy of Tesla when they came out, and this is more or less, this is just paraphrasing what he says in this post, is that, okay, they want people they want the market to switch to electric cars. That's like the goal. Okay, that's the vision, not the strategy. And they want to do it because good for the planet, blah, blah, blah. So that's the, so they got all of that kind of like the sort of the, the thing that they want to happen. But of course, they recognize that just wanting it to happen isn't enough to make it happen. And that's one of the first places companies go wrong. They think that their purpose, as they might put it, or their vision or their mission, whatever, is enough to get people to buy, but it isn't. That's the thing you want to happen, but the customer couldn't care less. So they say, we want, pe we want, we want people to do this, and so therefore we need a strategy in order for that to happen. So they say, the thing about electric cars and the electric car market at the time, obviously not now, is that it's entirely focused on the concept of economy. The pitch for electric cars, such as they were back then, 
is that this is sort of like small and cheap to run, you know, little sort of city runarounds. I think maybe the market leader at that time was that, what's that brand called? G-Wiz, is that it? G-Wiz, I think was the... Oh yeah, yeah, there was G-Wiz, that terrible car in London that you'd see. And then, and then along came the Toyota Prius, which is a bit more of a car, but still not very lovable. It doesn't set your pulse racing. No, exactly. So those are the sort of archetypal pitches for that market at the time. So it's like, essentially, like it's this sensible economy-based thing to buy. And so the only people really who are buying it are sort of this tiny group of people who are actually interested in the concept from the ground up, who are sort of like, who are just sort of like interested in electric cars or that type of technology, which is not the whole market. So what Tesla said is, look, the pitch for electric cars is not economy. And it's bullshit anyway, because electric cars are really expensive. So the whole economy concept is actually nonsense from the get-go. You're sort of saying, buy this £100,000 car so that you can run it cheaply. It doesn't make sense. Instead, we think that the real potential for electric cars is essentially performance and luxury, because essentially they can go incredibly quick, naught to 60 compared to an internal combustion engine car. So we, instead of beginning with a natty little city runaround, we are going to begin at the other end of the market. Our first car is going to be a supercar. So that was the Roadster, the first car that they brought out. What the Roadster is going to do is it's going to be super expensive, not very rare, and not many people will be able to buy it. But what it's going to do is it's going to make the average person, member of the public think, oh, I want an electric car. Actually, electric cars are really cool. And then we're going to do the reverse of what other car companies do, is that we're going to progressively move down the chain. So we'll go from a supercar to a luxury car, the Model S, and then we'll go from a luxury car to a sort of mid-range car, which I guess was the Model 3 or whatever it's called. And, and we're going to go down the chain like that. And consumers will enter because they've been pre-sold on the concept by the sexier cars above them in the chain. So they effectively flipped the entire market on its head. And of course, this did this exact strategy went exactly as they intended. And for a long time, it gave them complete stranglehold on that market. Now things have changed a bit. But you know, this was essentially the strategy that not only built Tesla, but it built the entire electric car category from the ground up. Now, everything I've said there, that is the whole strategy, right? Do you see how it's just like, it's sort of commonsensical. There's no data, there's no, there's, there's no sort of research, there's no nothing other than just something where I say it to you and you're like, huh, that actually really makes sense. Number one, it makes sense. And number two, it isn't what the other brands in the market were doing at the time. So this is the kind of vibe that you need to be shooting for with any strategy. And it's just, it's just so, so far away from, from what people are doing. And then he said, okay, so then if that's the strategy... He found some guys who'd built a two-door, who'd built the who'd built the roadster. Uh, somebody'd already built it. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna have your company because that that gets us going. And then he found a designer whose cars he liked as part of this. It has to have a design ethos. And then, you know, that sort of self-driving that's built some market awareness. You know, most of the people I speak to still think the only self-driving cars are Teslas. And in fact, actually, Mercedes-Benz has the only Type 3 self-driving car licensed in the United States. So it's just, you know, they have really captured the, the mind of the consumer perfectly. And hence their, hence their valuation relative to their revenue and profitability. 
you're really right when it's like it's the details in a sense that are landing the strategy because like what really works for them is all the the sort of like the quote unquote silly things that they do. So for example, like how you could get, you know, the the Model S with insane mode, which basically bleeded the battery in about two seconds, but it made it go naught to 60 in what, two seconds or something. Now that is that is that is marketing, right? That is a piece of marketing, but it's a piece of marketing integrated into into the car. And that then made people think the way that they wanted people to think about Teslas and the electric car and the electric car category in general. So that is when you're thinking about the level of execution that you need to go to, as you say, you start at that very sort of macro level. And then when you've got that idea, you can zoom right down to the micro and you can make um, sort of executional decisions which deepen and intensify and amplify the idea that you're putting out there. That's, that's, just, that's just brilliance, really. I, I just want to pick up on something that you said there, the way you said it. You said they got people to think the way they wanted them to think. And to me, that sort of is is the essence of the strategy, right? I, I see clients all the time doing this thing they call strategic planning, which is just planning. And there's a lack of strategy because the strategy is getting people in the future to think a thing that you want them to think. Now, that's hard. A, you've got to work out what you want them to think. And then you've got to say, how do we make that happen, Right. A strategic planning is just like, we're going to hire 10 people. We're going to open an office. We're going to close a thing. We're going to spend some money on R&D. That's just planning. Most of the companies that I meet don't have a strategy. They spend all their time planning. Because the, the, that coming up with a thing, what is it that we want consumers to think in the future and how are we going to make that? That seems too hard. Which is funny because it kind of, it kind of isn't, but I completely... I completely agree. And I've never thought of it the way that you put it there about getting people to think what they think. The other distinction, the, the way that I think about the distinction with planning, strategic planning is like a sequence of things, this, then this, then this, then this. Whereas the strategy is one single thing which sits across everything. So it's the one single idea which then determines those steps in the planning process. And every single decision in the entire business, you should be able to pull it back up to that single idea. So what most businesses fundamentally lack is a single governing idea, which ties the entire thing together. And that's why they're making decisions on a piecemeal basis of like, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do this. And every single decision that they make is essentially made on its own terms. They're kind of they're actually making life hard for themselves because they are they're making every decision from first principles when they when they get a choice of over whether they go left or right they're actually analyzing that on its own merits whereas if they had a strategy the strategy would just say well of course you got to go right you can't go left it's it's not even a question so once you've sorted yourself out at the top level you can you can sort of imagine just how easy the decision making process comes on a day to day basis, because half of the thinking is sort of been automated almost. Alex, what is it you know now you wish you'd known earlier? It's a bit of a truism, which everyone knows, but it's one of those things that you only really know it when you kind of feel it. If you want to actually start to make progress in your career or with your business, you've really just got to kind of be yourself and unapologetically so. And that's 
I think the reason that it's sort of like is a truism, but but at the same time, people don't do it is because people don't know themselves. They they think, and I would, I'm the first person who's guilty of this, is that they make the mistake of thinking that the thing that they admire in somebody else, another person, another brand, whatever, they think that they are that thing. So they copy that thing without realizing that as they're doing it, it's like fundamentally completely inauthentic to who they are. They think, oh, I think that brand is, I think that brand's really cool. So I'm going to copy their branding or something like that. And, and then they're surprised when it doesn't work because what they're doing is that they're being completely incongruent with the nature of themselves or with the nature of their business. So to actually understand who you really are and then to just say, screw it, right, I'm just going to be this. And then seeing how the world just opens up for you, then it's it, it's it's mind blowing. But but it's really hard, hard harder harder than than strategy in a sense because you've got to because you've got to see past all this kind of lies that you're telling yourself. And of course, you know we're telling ourselves a lot of lies, uh, not least about about ourselves. That's probably a whole other podcast about how you how you ended up with that realization. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. It is, uh, it's, uh, it, 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 it is painful. You, you, you've got to look back on your prior self and cringe. If you don't look back on your prior self and cringe, then you're probably still living in the delusion. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, if you wouldn't go out for dinner with your former self, then you haven't yet reached that realization. Nice. Ah, okay. So people should pick up your uh, fabulous no bullshit strategy yes that would be that would be great what other books do you think people should pick up and read might be strategy might not be might be books around self-realization my sort of strength as it were my sort of competitive advantage weirdly is that i'm incredibly uneducated when it comes to strategy i've read maybe like two books that you could say are sort of about strategy in my life. And so it's a lot of the similar stuff, but what this means is that I just put it into different language because, you know, you're sort of like you're you're articulating it in a different way, which makes it accessible to a different audience. So I actually try not to read too much about strategy because I kind of don't want to sort of just kind of double up on what other people are doing. The best books I've read about strategy, which aren't nominally about strategy, are number one, Everything by Nassim Taleb. I think his entire Incerto series, Anti-Fragile, Skin in the Game, Black Swan, all of that. That is kind of like, I think, foundational stuff. So, I mean, that's like a whole bunch of books there. That, I think, is some of the most influential stuff for me. Next is the biographies of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk that Walter Isaacson wrote. So Walter Isaacson, you know, he did the sort of definitive biographies on both of them. And they're good because they they basically just, although this isn't obviously the purpose of them, they just give you a completely comprehensive, open insight into what great strategy looks like in the hands of a practitioner. And so those two guys are obviously both sort of great strategists. It's not completely unreasonable to say that if you're like the two sort of richest people in the world, you're also the two best at strategy in the world. That's probably not quite true, but it's not it's not miles off being true. But those two guys are are great at the craft, aside from anything else that you might sort of say about them. So those are really, really instructive. I'll tell you what, 
Yeah, and I tell you what I really like, and I think this won't be news to anybody, and it's kind of like cheesy, but you know what? Like credit where it's due. Alex Hormozy's books are bloody great. I don't know if you've read them. $100 million leads, $100 million offers. They're very like, you know, here's how to sell stuff kind of vibe, but massive respect to it because he sort of breaks down what what you might call the fundamentals to such a fundamental level that you actually look at it and you're like, you know what? I'm actually not doing any of this stuff. Like I'm just like sleeping on like on half of the stuff that really matters when it comes to just building and selling. So I found those books really inspiring and helpful for running my own business. Because once you've got a strategy, you then have to execute it. It's not going to come true unless you do all of those other things around execution. One of the, one of those is to have some discipline and some expertise around sales and marketing. Yes, absolutely. And I, I guess I also, and this is a, this is something I haven't quite got my head around yet, but there's something where like his books, they're written, I think they very much suit a kind of small owner-operated business like an agency or a consultant or something like that, where the concept of strategy in its sort of macro sense can sometimes be a little bit broad and big and sometimes little businesses like that, and my business is a business like that, they kind of benefit from being treated a little bit more scrappily and tactically. I sort of hesitate to say this, but they almost provide an interesting alternative to strategy. It's almost like they provide extremely smart, tactical approach to business, which Bearing in mind, most businesses are doing an extremely dumb tactical approach to business. So this is still a step up, right? <laughs> Just because it's tactical tactical doesn't mean that you can't learn something from it. So yeah, you know, it, that's really, really interesting. You can execute your way to moderate success. Or maybe you can execute your way to great success. I suspect you can't though. I suspect you can get to better than most people if you execute better than most people. But to, if you can do strategy and execution together, then you're in the top, you know, 1% of businesses. Well, I always say that 50% of strategy is um, sort of invisible and unknown by the, by the business that's operating it. So what you do get is you can get very successful businesses and they're very successful because there's something very deeply strategic that is working about what they do, but it's completely accidental and they're completely unaware of it. So that actually happens with quite a lot of big businesses. Often I see a business that, as you say, either had a plan or had some success. What they never did is they never had this sort of product marketing ability. So they didn't ever have an ability to create a product or service from scratch. And then something happens, the market shifts, they have a new entrant or something else changes. And then they don't know why they do what they do. And they can't change because they, they just have this, they have no capability in saying, we're going to create a product or a service, or we're going to look at the market differently, or we're going to take our capability. And so a great case study there is taking Kodak and comparing Kodak and Fuji and their response to you know, digital photography. Fuji Film said, oh, well, we've got this chemical processing expertise. Where else could that be useful? And, you know, ended up with a skincare range and you just, you know, one business goes and be, creates this amazing conglomerate off the back of saying, what are our core competencies? And the other one says, well, we make money from selling film and then didn't. 
yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So yeah, it can be like, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's the, it's the sort of like the, the level of consciousness to which you're operating on is kind of like the thing that counts even more so than actually the presence of a strategy. Yeah. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.